Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hello. Thank you, everybody. Look at this hand, handful of stuff I got here. I'm going with the handheld mic today. This could go, this is risky, because I like to move my hands a lot, and I have sweaty palms. So we'll see what happens here. The Lord loves risk, huh? This is good. Okay, Luke 1, and we're going to be starting um, in verse 26. So um, the story of the coming of Jesus, I think it does, it aligns us with God's desire to come near. Like the stuff we just talked about, God wants to come near to us. He wants to be near to his people. And God's kingdom reality, we see it break in when we hear these testimonies. And tonight, as we take this anticipation and we look at this story, um, what we wanna do in this Luke series is just see what it looks like, and especially this Advent time, see what it looks like to steward what God is doing. And in Luke 1, we get to see that in Mary. And I think um, when we come into Mary's story, right, it's Gabriel announces what's gonna happen. He announces the coming of Jesus. But um, what I love about the proclamation of Gabriel is that he walks in and he doesn't tell Mary, he doesn't say, hey, Mary, you're gonna carry Jesus the Messiah, the Messiah you've been waiting for. The first thing he says to her is, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Verse 28 is where it says it. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. He didn't first tell Mary her assignment. He first told her who she was. Favor is his grace, his pleasure, his blessing, his welcome that he had put on her before she even said yes. The very first things that Mary had to know before she could even receive a proclamation of Messiah is she had to know how loved she was by God. She had to know that she was favored by God, that his grace was on her life, that he actually saw her and said, Mary, I wanna partner with you. Identity and favor come before calling and responsibility. And we talk about identity a lot here, right? But it's because it comes up a lot. It's in here all the time. Like we're reading the Christmas story and God's like, okay, but first let me show you what I do is I tell you how favored you are. I tell you how loved you are. And then I tell you how you get to partner with me. We steward the favor of God by believing what he says about us. We steward favor by saying like, oh yeah, I am favored. I am loved by God. He's given me an identity. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, his divine, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You are partakers in divine nature. You are granted all things for life and godliness. You are granted his precious promises. You've escaped corruption. If, there, like, if anything is favor, that is favor. You are favored. You are under his grace. He takes pleasure in you. You are blessed. He is with you. He is near to you. His, like his spirit's in us. Mary didn't even get to have that. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God literally with and in us. We must believe what he says about us. 
And what Mary responded um, to this proclamation of identity, look at verse 29, because I love this. Because that's a fun proclamation, right? Like, I'm favored, I'm chosen, God is with me. And verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's like, I would, would, why, why are you troubled? I was like, that sounds awesome. But I think actually that Mary understood favor maybe even a little bit better than we do. Troubled can mean confused or perplexed. So I think there was a piece there that's like, why me? Why would I be honored enough to have like God's favor on me? But I also think what Mary understood was that Mary understood that knowing your favor, knowing your identity and believing it calls you to responsibility. There's a responsibility when we understand who we are in God. There's a responsibility when we've realized who he's made us to be, when we fully say yes to that identity that he's giving us. Blessings beg responsibility. Favor makes us responsible to move in the identity and blessing that we've been given. If you've been given favor, you've been given blessing, God's saying like, oh, you're, like, you're gonna be able to do something with me. You see people who are doing these great things for the kingdom of God, right? You see this all throughout history. You see it now. People that are like, oh, they have so much favor on their life. I would argue that those people are actually responding to the favor that was on their life. That those people are saying, oh, I see who God has already said I am. I see what Jesus paid for, and I'm responding. I'm responding in obedience, and I'm responding knowing like, oh, that actually makes me responsible to bring the kingdom of God when you know who you are in it. The scriptures show us like what we read in 2 Peter, that everyone who's received the finished work of Jesus has so much favor on their life. And I think that those, those lives that resound with this great kingdom impact, they just, they realized it. They just were able to realize and respond that that's available to each and every person in this room, that we don't have to look and be like, oh, I wish I had that favor on my life. You have that favor on your life. You get to respond to what he's doing, how he's already blessed you. And that there's like, those are the people that God's gonna shake and change the world with. The life-altering identity as a child of God is freely given and it changes everything and it invites you into stewarding kingdom reality. It invites you into that like, great and awesome responsibility. And I think that Mary, when she says she was troubled, it was a response to the, the responsibility that accompanies favor. She just knew, she said, okay, I'm right now, I'm counting the cost of what it's gonna mean to say yes. I see that I'm favored, I see that God is with me, and I know that he has big and awesome plans for me, and so she counted the cost. She was gonna say yes before God even spoke to her. To count the cost is to say that there's no cost too high, that when God calls you, when he tells you who you are, when you see Jesus, you see what he's done, that you would count the cost and say, okay, no cost is too high because I've seen you, Jesus. That we follow, we follow a God, that he counted the cost. He paid the highest cost. He gave himself to defeat death, to buy us back. And he looked at it and he said yes to it. He said yes to the cross. He counted it worth it to know us. The promises of God will cost something, but that cost is nothing compared to the reward. That cost is nothing compared to what he already paid. And it's actually a joy to our souls when you follow Jesus to count the cost and say yes to it. First Thessalonians 2.19 says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. I can gladly count the cost because Jesus is my reward. It's kind of like if you were shopping for a house in this market, it's crazy, and you had a penny and someone sold their mansion to you. It cost you something. You said, okay, here's my penny. You had to give something up. But what you received, oh my gosh, 
No one wouldn't do that. If you truly understood what the reward was, if you truly understood what you were inheriting, if you truly understood what you were receiving, no, like that cost is nothing. It would feel like if I paid a penny for a mansion. It is, there is a cost to this obedience to Jesus, but oh my gosh, life with him, the reward is like too great. He's so good that it's like, yes, count the cost, but just watch what I'm gonna do. Watch what I'm gonna do with your yes. I can gladly count the cost because Jesus is my reward. Mary had believed in the favor given to her. She believed in the nearness of God. So when she could glimpse the cost, the public humiliation, maybe she would lose her betrothed of a sullied family history, she could boldly say in verse 39, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She could count the cost and give her full, yes. The promise of the coming Messiah, the promise that the angel spoke, he said, for nothing is impossible with God, that nothing is impossible dwarfed whatever price would be paid. I do think that we're in a time where um, God's gonna teach us to steward favor by showing us the joy of cost. He's gonna show us the joy of a cost that leaves no room for the lukewarm spirit. Cost requires you to choose who you will serve. Will you serve culture, your workplace, a social agenda, social media, or will you serve him? It's a time where there's gonna, I think we're already seeing this, but this increase of like, you can't be cozy with Jesus and with the overall majority. There is a cost to saying, I want Jesus. And that cost could be like losing friends that you've had, losing family members that are like, you're being crazy. Losing people that, the, as time goes on, I think people are gonna look at the church and say, these people are insane. And as you pair yourself with what Jesus has said, with even himself, who he says, oh, this is gonna offend people. As you partner yourself with what is true and that might cause offense to others, there's gonna be a cost. But in counting it, there is joy and it shouldn't scare us because if history has taught us anything, when Christians count the cost and they stand as a set apart community, those who are hungry run to where that light is. I think that this contrast is actually gonna make it so much easier for the prodigals to find home. It's gonna make it so much easier for people to say like, oh no, I'm hungry. And like those Christians, they have it. Like, yes, the world wants nothing to do with them, but they hold something true. They hold light and people will run to it. That cost is maybe gonna morph over time. But if our eyes are on Jesus, he's our glory, he's our joy, we are unshakable. And he will do the impossible and the cost will never crush true hunger. The cost will never dim his beauty. Uh, there's a story from history, just like Christian history that always blows me away. Um, and I think it bears repeating. We've talked about it here in the gathering before, but it's the story of the Christian response to the Black Plague. A lot of you know this story. There's a, um, when the Black Plague happened in Europe, there were stories of Christians and how, basically how they divided themselves, how they counted the cost and said yes to loving people. I was reading a quote about it today that I think I have for up on the screen. It says, rather than encourage mutual aid, the plague's deadliness drove people from one another. One Sicilian friar reported, magistrates and notaries refused to come and make the wills of the dying. Worse, the priests didn't even come to hear their confessions. In one account called the Decameron, the author said, one man shunned another, kinsfolk held aloof, brother was forsaken by brother, oftentimes husband by wife. Nay, what is more, and scarcely to be believed, fathers and mothers were abandoning their own children to their fate, untended, unvisited, as if they'd been strangers. Yet... There were pockets of extraordinary Christian charity. According to the French chronicler, the nuns at one city hospital having no fear of death tended the sick with all sweetness and humility. 
New nuns replaced those who died until most had died, many times renewed by death, now in rest in peace with Christ, as we may piously believe. Counting the cost, there meant death for many. And I've read these accounts. There's, I was reading some books for school and this account was in them again. And it just talks of the peace these people carried. That they would get close to the sick, that they would hold their hand as they died. They would look at them and people would ask them why and they would say, because of the love of Jesus. Like this cost is enough because of the love of Jesus. And they did so with great joy. It doesn't say that they went in bitter like, oh, I gotta go sit with these people. There was joy and peace welling up in their hearts as they met people where they were at and even knowing it would mean their death. And it's this light in the middle of darkness that invited people to taste and see for themselves. Some of the greatest revivals in Europe broke out after this time that people were able to see like, oh, what scared the world? These Christians ran to it because of love. They ran to it. And that truth is still, it's for us today. Fear does not have a place with followers of Jesus. Fear can't live with followers of Jesus. Fear, like, and it doesn't have like, there's not circumstances that allow for fear. The scriptures say, do not fear. It's not like, oh, you're a pandemic, you get to be afraid. Or like, oh, like politics is crazy, you get to be afraid. Natural disasters, you get to be afraid. None, that's not in here. Like we do that, but the Lord does not do that. He says, do not be afraid for I am with you. And what the story of Mary shows, and even those testimonies we said earlier, is that God comes near to us. That is our boldness. That is like the cost, the reward for which any cost is worth it, is to be near him. And in the house, I think that in this house in particular, I think of that, that second testimony we heard where she goes to bed, wakes up, and is like, I don't have fear of man. Like, what just happened? I didn't even ask for it. That God is actually speaking that over our house, that he's eradicating fear from these people. And if that doesn't feel like it's you, ask him that it would be you because he's doing it. He is taking fear of man and he's erasing it, that these would be the people that run towards things that make other people afraid for the love of Jesus. That people in this room would be people who are like, oh, I woke up and I'm just not afraid. <laughs> like, how fun to live like that. That's fun. We're stewarding favor. We're counting the cost. But what we see from Mary too is after she gives her yes, is she shows it what, it what it looks like to steward the promise of the Messiah with full knowledge of her identity, ready to give her yes. And I think there's three things that we see from Mary as we look at, I mean, there's probably more. Three things I saw when I was um, looking and praying through this teaching of how married stewards promises. And we're, as you guys can tell, we're hopping around the text a little bit. But the first one is to be with people who help you steward his promises, who have a high value for his words. Look at verse, uh, Luke 1, verse 39. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So what does Mary do as soon as she hears the word from the Lord? She goes to Elizabeth. She goes to someone that she knew would build her faith in that promise. She runs to someone who she knew would be able to partner with her and say like, God is saying this, like be excited with me. Like help me to pursue it. We have to have people in our lives as believers that when we receive a promise from God, they will have a high value for that promise too. People who cling to the scriptures, who are hungry to see what God's gonna do for, for themselves, but for your life too. 
that you would have friends who that when you get a word, they get to champion it. They'll remind you. They'll bring you back to what is true about him. If you don't have these people, find them. They're in this room. If you have these people, keep them when they challenge you, even when like maybe it's not that fun to be around them, fight for them, keep them. Those relationships are so valuable. When Mary received a word from God, she hurried to Elizabeth. She treasured that promise, but knew that that treasure was way too special to carry by herself. She needed encouragement and she needed Elizabeth to hold tightly that promise with her. And I think we can even see from Elizabeth a little bit of what it looks like to be that friend. When she comes to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, first thing she does is she confirms the word that was spoken to Mary. The prophetic words that you receive, take them to people you trust. People who hold the word of God highly, who hold his promises highly, they can be confirmation for you and faith for you. They can remind you of words God's spoken over your life when you kind of forget about them. Elizabeth also, she blesses Mary. She gets excited with her. The Holy Spirit in Mary testifies to the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth and they get excited. Get excited when God speaks to your friends. Honor his work in other people's lives, not just in yours. Look around and be like, that is so exciting. I see God meeting that person, that is so exciting. Have friends that rejoice in what God is doing, whose reaction when they hear that you've heard from him is to celebrate with you, that they would declare God's promises over your life. I think the third thing we see from Elizabeth is that Elizabeth is family. I mean, they were actually family, but she also just, she acts like family. And we talk about that here all the time, but she was a friend who Mary came and stayed with her for months. There was, I bet, mutual encouragement happening. Elizabeth built up Mary for what was ahead. She protected her. She helped her protect what she'd received. She said, oh, the treasure of God, it's so good. Stay with me, we'll protect it. She opened her life and laid herself down for what God was up to in her friend. She was family to her. Godly relationships will sacrifice their time, their comfort, and their preferences to see the work of God accomplished in one another's lives. If we're to steward the promises of God, we need people like this to be our closest circle, to push us, to remind us, to rejoice with us, rejoice with us that we hear from the living God. And I think this was something that I heard, I'm gonna paraphrase this, but I heard this from Bill Johnson um, probably a month ago, and it's just really stuck with me about not letting doubting voices influence your life. Don't let unrenewed minds influence how you think. That we have people in our lives, I know like I do, there's people that like, oh, it's a friend that I grew up with, but they've walked away from the Lord. Or I have family that I love so much and I respect, but they don't know him. They don't actually care about his promises. I have people, like my coworkers, I respect them. They're so cool, but they don't hold his promises. Love those people, love them so hard. Like ask God how he can reveal himself to them, but do not give them an authoritative voice in your life. Do not give them a voice in your life that can tell you which way to go. Because what they will do when you bring them the promises of God is they will say, uh, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem very smart. That doesn't seem like very fun. I also like, I think this whole like God thing's a little crazy. Like maybe just keep with the flow. And if you're stewarding a promise of God, you can't take that risk. That there would be someone to like push doubt. That there would be someone who maybe you would listen and actually go a different direction. I was thinking about this about Mary in my car today and I was just like weeping. I was like, oh, what if her friends had not been an Elizabeth and it had actually been someone who she ran to them and they said, Mary, 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 what are you doing? Like whatever you did, I don't know how you ended up this way, but whatever you did, like hide it so that Joseph doesn't know. Get rid of this baby in secret so that the world will accept you. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like it actually, like who you give your promises to matters so much. 
who you give your promises to, who you trust to tell you to like, okay, yes, go that way. Yes, go with him. Or no, don't. The people you give an authoritative voice in your life, it matters so much for the course of how you are going to steward God's promises. And I know that that like might sound harsh because we do have people that we love like so much. And I'm not saying get rid of those people. And I'm not even saying we can learn so much from people that don't know the Lord. I think of like psychology, science. God has created all people in his image and there's glimpses of him. But I'm just saying don't give them an intimate spot. Don't give them a spot of authority where they get to dictate how you see God, how you perceive his promises. Your closest people, the people who influence your decisions, who influence how you build your family, the people who influence the decisions you make, choose people that love the Lord. Be intentional about how you choose your influence. Choose people who remind you of God's word over your life, that will get excited with you about his movement, who will partner with you and encourage you as you give your yes to him. People who the world will look at and say they're foolish, but God's kingdom comes to life around them. Get around those people, bring them close, and let them influence you. We need those Elizabeth type people. And not just for like, oh, like encourage me in the promises, but at the same time, I think about testimonies I hear in our church all the time. I was even thinking about me this last week. When we came back from Bethel, we did that teaching and vision trip, came back, and I was like so ready for whatever God was gonna do. Getting like words of knowledge for the first time, such fun stuff, and getting like vision for the future. And then the next week, I like got like kind of sick, got a cold, just a cold, and I was like really sleepy because I hadn't slept, and then I, some, I think we were just like really busy, and I was like, I took a, a few days later, I was like, huh, that was fun for a couple weeks, but he's probably not doing that anymore. I was tired. I was too tired to do it myself, and it was the faith and reminders of my friends that got me back in line with what he was doing. I hadn't wasted any promises. I hadn't missed out on what he was doing. What he said was still true for me, but I needed people to tell me, hey, God is still doing that. I needed people to get excited with me about his movement, to refresh my vision again, to speak new words to me, and even just to see them live faithfully and be like, oh yeah, that's what I want. That's what I wanna be like. That is why it's so important that we do life with the saints, with the children of God. We cannot forget to. And if you're someone who you feel like you've seen breakthrough, you feel like you've come and you've heard words over your life, but you felt resistance, don't be discouraged, but reach out to someone and say, hey, can you like contend for this promise with me? Because I feel discouraged. Ask people to come alongside you. Choose those Elizabeth-like people. The second way that we see uh, Mary steward the promises of God is praise. If you see, uh, starting in verse 30, 46, we're not gonna read the song, but it's Mary's song. In response to the promise, she breaks out in song. And this song, it's not somber, it's joyful and victorious. Mary's praise is strengthening her heart to believe in the God of the impossible, in what he has done and what he will do again. I encourage you guys actually to go and read this song. It talks about the character of God, it talks about his victory. Even as we talk about the promises we've received, read this over your promises. That's what Mary did. She received a promise and she said, oh, I remember who he is, let me sing it out that we would go back and sing out God's faithfulness. When we praise God for who he is, our hearts are strengthened to believe him, to take him at his word. And it's like out loud with your lips, I'm praising the God who does impossible things and I'm being aligned with him again. There was a study actually that I heard about this week that kind of like blew my mind a little bit. And I think it actually it bears mentioning here. I'm not gonna skip this part. There was a neurological study that was done um, by a Dr. Baker that asserts that the active gratitude, active gratitude and active fear cannot coexist in your brain at the same time. 
I have a quote from him here. It says, during active appreciation, Baker writes, the threatening messages from your amygdala, the fear center of your brain, and the anxious instincts of your brainstem are cut off suddenly and surely from access to your brain's neocortex, where they can fester, replicate themselves, and turn your stream of thoughts into a cold river of dread. It is a fact of neurology that the brain cannot be in a state of appreciation and a state of fear at the same time. The two states may alternate, but are mutually exclusive. Mary's gratitude, she was able to come and actively give gratitude to the Lord for who he had been, how faithful he had been, who, how good he was. And if she had fear of that promise, of what the promise would mean, she was cutting off fear by giving praise. Our praise is powerful. Our gratitude is powerful. And I encourage you guys, find spaces outside of this gathering where you can praise him. <laughs> With your lips, praise him out loud. Declare his goodness. Declare what's been faith, like how he's been faithful. The third thing that we see in Mary's response, and I'll wrap us up. Um, I'll wrap us up with this third one, is that we respond to God's promises with celebration. Mary sang in joy in response. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaimed blessing. John, in Elizabeth's womb, he leapt for joy. I think God is looking to pour Himself out even more on those who would receive His promises with joy and celebration. There is a time to be somber, a time to weep in tragedy. But for much of the New Testament, whether in trial or in abundance, God's people are characterized by deep joy, by singing, by laughter, by celebrations. When God promises something, it is worth getting pumped about. It is like when you hear from God, you're hearing from God. Like get excited. And I think that there's been this weird correlation um, in the church and the people of God. It's like, oh, if you're having like too much fun and you're getting too excited, you're not taking God seriously. But I would argue that the people who took God the most seriously had the most joy, had the most fun, could laugh the most, and could celebrate the most because they realized that they really are living in good news. They took him seriously. And I think if we read our Bibles, we would see that like those are the serious people, are those fun and joyful people. I mean, God, Jesus' birth, it was a choir of angels singing. It wasn't like a somber occurrence. It was a celebration. The king is here. And I think Christmas is such a cool time to remind ourselves of this, of this cadence of celebration, to say like, okay, I'm gonna like dance with my family. I'm gonna make really good food. I'm gonna have my friends over and we're gonna have a great time and we're gonna celebrate this season where God came near. And the really cool thing is that it's not just a season. Christmas can serve as this really cool time to reset us for the rest of our year to say, oh yeah, we're a people that celebrate the coming of God. And we do it with our friends. We do it with fun. We do it with good food. And it's like, it's a good time to follow him because we carry good news. His promises deserve our excitement. They deserve our joyful noise. They deserve us having fun. And so I think I'm gonna close our time tonight. We're gonna close in communion and I think Jake is somebody that does this super well, communion as a time of celebration. And I think that that's so important to do. You guys will stand with me. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And just as we think about this season that we're in, we think about the truth of the scripture, what it means to be these people who God has honored, who he's given identity to, who he's promised himself to, that Jesus himself counted the cost and paid it so that our cost gets to be little in comparison to the reward. Like this is a king we're celebrating. Being a part of his kingdom is worth celebrating. And so as we take of the body and we take of the blood, it is actually like, it's a feast. 
It's feasting on his goodness. It's feasting on what he's done. It is saying like, oh, I lack nothing with you. And what a joyful thing to lack nothing. To go in as we think about like we're heading into the holidays and we're heading into the new year to be like, oh, I lack nothing. I get to see God's kingdom break in around me and I get to celebrate his goodness. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you wanna stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store or visit our website.